the light turned green. Good morning, church on the streets. I've been waiting to say that for a long time. Yeah, that was fun. Don't mess up my microphone. It's taped to hair. Uh, what a blessing. This is fun. I've seen this many times, but never, never when I was awake. I've dreamed about this, you know. I love that a church takes on the character and nature of its pastor. And uh, I, I knew that I was in the right place today when I walked in and, and had somebody walk up to me and said, you know, we have time limits here. We, we don't go all day. And then uh, and someone else walked to me, hit me in the rear end, slapped me in the butt and said, said hey, you've been working out. And I thought, man, this is Pat Brady and Teresa Brady's church. I can, I can tell. <laughs> so thanks, Walt. That was a great slap, and I really appreciate it. No, uh, my, my wife and I just, uh, you guys know Dina, and if you don't, that, that beautiful, beautiful girl back there. I, I leaned over this morning and just said, thank you for marrying me. I, I had no idea what I was inviting you into, and I said, hey, you want to get married? And she said, yeah. I just thought, let's just do today, tomorrow, and just keep doing that again and again. I had no idea that it would be 22 years later and church planting, and I can't tell you the number of times when I just wanted to quit or uh, give up or sell shoes or go back to drinking, that my wife was the one that kind of said, hey, you know, we could do that or we could serve Jesus. And uh, so, honey, thank you so much for who you are, and you're such a blessing. And, and that's her. She's already taken, so don't look twice. Uh, I, I want to I thank, you know, pastors Pat and Teresa and how cool that is to be able to say that. I, I, these people have always been near and dear. They've always been wonderful. And, and uh, I remember when Joe first came to the church and we almost kicked him out. Because he was always he was always macking on the girls that worked at the skate park. I'm like, that guy's not here to skate. He's just here to flirt. We're going to get rid of him. And uh, about that time he got saved. How many of you guys know Joe knows just when to make the shift to stay right there in the center of God's grace, man? He was right there. And then Ryan came, and then Teresa came, and then about six months later, Pat came. I, I liked them right away. I, I, I remember saying to Pat, let's go play racquetball, because I heard he played racquetball. I hadn't played in years. Now, I play racquetball like, like I play piano. Or I, I play drums. This man plays racquetball. If you ever want to die a natural death while in a sporting event, his, his backhand starts about here, and he just uncorks it. I had Spalding written backwards on my rear end for three months. And then we went out to their house because, you know, new people in the church and just new in the Lord, not even sure if he's saved yet or not. Let's, let's, we better go out there. They invited us out. He said, let's go swimming. We got a leg. And I said, oh, I didn't bring my suit, which is me saying I'm fat and you don't want to see this, you know. And he said, no, no, people leave their suits here all the time. I've got all kinds of suits. So, okay, he just really wants me to swim, you know. And uh, so he throws me a towel in the suit, and I go in the bathroom. I look at the suit. And I'm telling you, Mowgli in Jungle Book would not wear this bathing suit. It was cut up to here. It was one of those, like, like skinny man running short things, you know. And I thought, oh, I'm going to offend this man. He just gave me a suit. I don't even know he knows the Lord yet. I got, I got a scar he's going to see that's a spalding backwards. I don't know if I want to do this. So I finally said, you know what, Lord, I'm going to wear this silly thing. I mean, I look like, like one of those European guys that shave their armpits, but I'm going to put this on. And I put it on as I walked out the door praying my wife wouldn't just die laughing and I'm mortified, but I don't want to offend him because I don't know if he's saved or not. I come around the corner, there's Pat Brady with a camera in his hand. And, and he got a picture of this. That was it, just a heel go around the corner. So, so that these people have become your pastors is evidence that God has just a, a wonderful plan for our lives. And can I just say something before we get started? On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being fantastic, unbelievable, great, 0 being the Antichrist on a bad hair day, 
Zero to ten, would you rate, before we get started, your relationship with God, honestly, openly, right here at this moment? Give it a number between one and ten. Now, without sharing that number with anybody, how many of you guys are fours? All get in the pocket over here. All you tens, get over there because you're dealing with pride issues and, you know, <laughs> denial, right? The number really is irrelevant. What is relevant is this. The reason you would have given yourself any number other than a ten is because you're judging yourself. You're looking at your actions. And I understand that. I do that all the time. But you understand that, that God has made you attend by his actions. You are not what you have done. You are what he has done for you. Your identity, your destiny, your history, your, your name, everything hinges upon not what you've done, but he's done. And I know I, I say this so often at the Freedom Center. They finish my sentences for me. They learn my three jokes. And, and they're done. But I want to say that to you here and now because I think that was the word that kept coming up today about the blood of Jesus. I don't know if you understand this or not, but God never puts anybody on probation. You're, you're welcome to come back, prodigal son, that you have to sleep in the barn for six months until such a time as you've proven yourself to be reliable enough to re-enter. There's none of that. You're in, you're out, based on what you allowed him to do in your life. And if you gave yourself a seven, can I tell you that seven is a lie? Um, if you gave yourself a three, that three is a lie. Really, the only possible mathematical answers to the question of rate your relationship, being brutally honest with God right now, is to look from his perspective and say either it's a zero because I've invited him to do what he wants to do in my life or it's a 10 because I've invited him to do what he wants me to do in my life. Your relationship is not based upon your behaviors. It's based on what he's done for you. So church on the street, can I just give that to you? That's not part of my sermon, but I can just give that to you. You, you are not what you have done. Say it with me. I am not what I have done. But I am what he's done for me. Father, thanks for this opportunity, God, to share uh, this time in your word. I pray that you'd birth dreams, visions, goals. I pray, God, that you would just establish your kingdom in hearts that are hungry to, to not just do, but to be. And in being, the doing is done, God. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would come and just move like a mighty rushing wind, like Acts chapter 29, you know. May you do it again, Father, in such a way that the world has never seen the same way by us and the world will never be the same again because of what you do through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, how much time do I have? Don't say that. Okay, when I'm done, Walt, slap me in the can. I'll know I'm finished. Good game, good game. Let me say this. I, I think this is a true statement. I, it's not theological, but I think it's true from observation. And that is that we are the only things, and I know that things is a bad description, but hear my whole statement. We're the only things that God created that have the ability to envision a tomorrow different from today. I, I know that dogs have dreams when they chase rabbits in their sleep, but that's not the kind of dreams that I'm talking about this morning. That, that we have the ability to envision a tomorrow. Everything that has breath is surviving, but God's highest creation, and that is you and I. We have the ability, as God has the ability, a God-given right to envision a tomorrow that's different from today or yesterday. We can look at a world and say that should change and then do something about it. There were a few guys got together on the phone 11, 12 years ago, and they said, what if we flew a couple of airplanes into a couple of buildings? I wonder if we could change the world. The power of the imagination, the power of a dream, either a satanic dream or a God-given dream has the effect on the world that, that those who never dream can never have. Are you still with me this morning? We, we have to understand that God has given us something, and we're responsible to steward that something in this world. We have to have dreams. If you don't have a dream, if you don't have something that wakes you up in the morning, compels you to go to work, compels you to pray, compels you to get in the Word, compels you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, compels you, moves you, shakes you, breaks you, 
your life is lifeless. My dad worked for Ford. My grandfather worked for GM. I watched as a child growing up what happens to a man's soul who has no dreams. I watched them drink their life. I watched them work, 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 the overtime so they could provide for the family that they never saw, that the house that they barely lived in, for the, the gardens that they barely harvested, for the children they barely knew. And it wasn't that they worked hard because every man should work hard six days a week and on the seventh day they should take a good long nap and watch Michigan beat Michigan State just once when you think. You know what I mean? But guys, we've got to have a dream. And I'll tell you this about dreamers. They work harder than doers. They, they get up earlier. They stay up later. Prayer is not a labor to those who dream because they can't help but pray. Giving's not not a labor to those who dream because they can't help but give. Showing up, blowing up, it's not a labor to those who dream because those who dream, they, they just live that way. Listen to the words of the speech and see if, if, it, if it does anything in your heart. This was said a long time ago, but it says this, I say to you today, my friends, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It's a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racists, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. I have a dream. Do you hear that? Something, how many guys know who said that? Anybody know? MLK, right? Let me, let me say this. That speech that he did, that great I have a dream speech, where there's now a monument. They just dedicated it a weekend or two ago uh, to, to hit that speech and that memory as he stands there on the Lincoln Memorial steps looking out over a mile away at the, the, the Washington Memorial with over a million faces gathered from all over the planet to hear that speech. He had his notes carefully made in front of him. When he began to speak, he got to that portion and it wasn't written down. And he walked away from his notes. Now, I don't know if you've done any speaking, but I've got to tell you something. When you walk away from your notes, you better have a heart full of it. Because now you're, now you're faking it. Now, if it's in there, it's coming out. Now, the, out of the abundance of the heart, not the mind, not the preparation, not the politics, not your advisors, but now out of your own heart, you're going to start to speak. That man didn't write that speech. He spoke that speech from the bottom of his heart, unwritten in the notes in front of him. I have a dream that one day, my four children will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And a nation stood up and said, I think I might have a dream too. That's, that's the power of dreamers. Dreamers will always attract other dreamers. Dreamers will always attract others. If you have a big dream, God will attract people with big dreams to, to partner up with you. When you pray, God, send forth laborers into your harvest field. If you're harvesting two ears of corn, he'll send you a two-year person. But if you're harvesting the nations, God will send you nation shakers. 
if your dream, your God-given right to dream and exercising that. We are, according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, where God's workmanship are created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. So whether or not you dream it, you're supposed to be doing it. Whether or not it's burning in you today or it's something you forgot about long ago, it's still inside of you. And I'll tell you something else. God shares a piece of his broken heart with people and he calls us to account for that which he has invested in us. You guys still here? I'm sorry, I'm slipping Martin Luther on you here, but it's feeling pretty good. Little Obama in there just for a little flavor, a little character, you know. The untucked shirt. Thank you, President Obama. Proverbs 29, verse 18 says, where there's no vision, the people perish. The NIV translation of that says, where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. When you really marry what the words mean, and they've both done a good job of translating those verses, even though it sounds very different, what it means is this. If you don't know where you're going and someone shouts, on your mark, get set, go, you go like this. Or you go like this. But you don't go like this. And a lifeless life is one that never dreamed. One that never envisioned a tomorrow better than, different than, with justice, with liberty, with freedom, with a change, with righting wrongs and and exposing things of the glory of the Lord and this earth that need to be seen. If you're in this room today, you're here for a couple reasons. One is you have a drug problem. Your spouse drug you to church. You don't really want to be here. Your parents drug you to church. Your, Your friend drug you to church. I don't want to hear this guy. I thought Pastor Pat was speaking today. Now I'm disappointed. You know, I, now we got this, this guy that's wearing his Obama shirt talking like he's Martin Luther up there. And I, I, I got a drug problem. But you may be here today because you have a dream. If you don't have a dream yet, today I want to help you find a dream. If you don't have a dream pertaining to this ministry, I want to help you find a dream. I want to help you find the dream that's been placed in your leadership's heart. I want you to help a dream, help you find a dream that God's placed in your heart before you ever walked into the room. Maybe you don't have a dream yet. Uh, about your place in this church. Maybe you do. But I want to teach you today and kind of lead you down a journey of how to find your purpose, how to find why you were created. Number one, if you're taking notes today, which nobody does in my church, but I'm going to say it anyway just in case somebody does here. I, it starts with something called a desire. Everybody say it with me. It's called a desire. We think about desires so often as, well, that's a bad thing. Your sinful desires, your bad desires, crucify your desires, run from sinful desires, youthful desires. And, but I want to tell you something. Desire is an important part of who you are. What you desire does nothing really more than reveal who your father is. Matter of fact, desire is a compound word in the Latin. It means day is of the, sire is father. Your desire tells me who your daddy is. And when you dream your desires, when you have God-given desires, your life is filled with things that, that are just extraordinary. I want to talk to you about the desires. When you're in right standing with God, the Holy Spirit impregnates you with His desires. You may have heard this long ago. Let me repeat it again. If you know what your passion is and what your pain is, you already know what your purpose is. I cannot be passionate about things I'm not passionate about. I can't fake it. I can't try. I can't, I can't muddle it. You know, hey, let's watch, let's watch women's badminton on TV because... United States is playing Ukrainian women. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to get that T-shirt. Ukrainian women with no hair, you know, no shaving armpits playing badminton. Playing like they got buckwheat in a headlock playing badminton. I'm excited. That's wonderful. I'm not excited about why. I'm not passionate about it. I'm not passionate about their victory. I'm not passionate about their defeat. There's nothing in it for me. I don't, I don't relate to it. I'm telling you, there are some things that people are passionate about I just don't get. We have people that are passionate about the landscaping in front of the church. Man, there's a gum wrapper underneath three feet of wood chips by a weed 
And, Pastor, it just grieved me. I'm telling you, God woke me up and said, go find that gum wrapper. Get that weed out of there because souls are at stake. And I'm like, really? Just put rocks there so you don't have to mess with it. Spray it with diesel fuel once a year and light it on fire. And, oh, no, no. The Lord instructed me to, you know, don't move the sign. The sign's got to be, and they're passionate. I remember years ago, I was walking in on a Monday morning. Never spoken on a Sunday or anytime. You know what I'm talking about when I say a pastor's hangover. It was Monday morning, time for the pastor's hangover. After all the services, and I'm, I'm walking the next day, and it's like, I just don't like anybody. And I gave it all away yesterday, and I'm coming in early, so that maybe God will give it something back. As I walked in, here's Art Romska. Anybody know Art Romska? Art is cleaning trash out of the Abervites along the front of the building which in my state of mind, I took as he's criticizing me for not cleaning up the trash. So I gave him a good morning that he'll never forget. What are you doing here? I'm picking up trash. Why are you picking up trash? And I'm being hung over Jim, snotty, fleshy Jim. And this is what he said to me. I'll never forget it. He goes, well, I walked in yesterday and it irked me. I'm like, I can't do everything around here. I was expecting people in the crowd to start going, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. And he said, no, no. He said, I don't want you to do anything about it. He said, I walked in yesterday and it irked me. And I thought to myself, you know what? If I do something about what irks me and you do something about what irks you and they do something about what irks them, eventually there may not be anything on this planet left to irk anybody. I just felt like God wanted me to do something about it. So instead of complaining about it or leaving a note in the offering or telling someone who's in charge or coming to you with my problems, I figured God was telling me to do it because it bothered me. It was his passion. It was his pain. And when you know your passion and your pain, guys, you know your purpose. If it kills you and thrills you, it fills you. I promise you. So many people are wondering, what am I supposed to be doing in life? What's my goal? What's my dream? What's my purpose? Find out what kills you. Find out what thrills you. So it doesn't matter because what kills me is on the other side of the planet. Can I, can I suggest to you that maybe your life belongs on the other side of the planet? Or maybe your life belongs here doing something about what's happening on the other side of the planet. But if you don't live from the passions of your heart, you live a lifeless existence. And I'm telling you what, we've got too many Christians that have been baptized in lemon juice already. Many people that wake up in the morning saying, good morning, Lord, instead of good Lord, it's morning. I want to get out there and kick the devil's butt. Do you, can you say butt at your church? Okay, good. I like to, to apply pressure to the posterior regions of hell. Yeah. You know, the Bible is filled with the stories of our heroes. And yet is it. Because I would, I would contend there's no such thing as a hero. When we think about what a hero is, well, that's the guy that, you know, we're all in a foxhole and we're down to our last magazine and the machine guns are blazing and everybody, and all of a sudden a, uh, a grenade lands in our foxhole and there's five of us and one of the guys jumps on the grenade and it blows up. Can I tell you, I was in the military for years. We never did grenade jumping drills. And yet how many of you guys have heard of somebody who jumped on a grenade to save his buddy? It's very common. You don't do those drills because it's not necessary. And plus, you'd have like five guys jumping on the same grenade because that's military. They, they would just do it. You know what I mean? But the reason the guy jumps on the grenade is not because he's a hero. It's because he can't not do something about what's about to destroy the people that he loves. I can't not do something about it. When we read the Bible, you think about like Nehemiah. Nehemiah has got a cushy job. He's basically the liver and the taste buds for the king. You know, it's fine if it tastes good and if it's poisoned. Uh, before I drink it, Nehemiah, drink it. And then they look at Nehemiah. You talk about a, a dead-end job with no retirement, man. That, that's, that's Nehemiah, right? And here's Nehemiah, and he's doing his job. And, and one day this guy comes, and he, he learns he just came from Jerusalem, his friend. And he said, he's in Jerusalem. I've got the heart for Jerusalem. What, what's it like? And he goes, oh, man, it's really bad. I mean, the, the walls have been torn down. The gates have been burned with fire. The people that lived there once of the great city, the city of the great king, the city of our God, it, 
where our fathers are buried, it lies in ruin, and those who live there are in great disgrace. And he just walks away. Now, listen, this is what happens. The guy who was there and saw it with his eyes sheds no tears, says no prayers, just walks away going, wow, that's, that's bad. But when Nehemiah hears about it, it, it contacts something inside of him, something that was worth dying for and worth living for. It says at that point when Nehemiah heard these things about Jerusalem, he says this because he fell down and he tore his clothes and he wept and he prayed and he fasted for days and he talked to God and said, God, please, please do something. Please help Jerusalem. Please, God, send somebody. And God said, I'm going to answer your prayer. <laughs> Can I tell you something about God that you may or may not know? Remember, desire means what? Of the... Okay that often God has a broken heart for a place. God has a broken heart for a people. God has a broken heart for a city or a time or a revival or a child or a city's walls. God has a broken heart. And what God often does is He takes a piece of that broken heart, hear me now, and He plants it inside of some unknowing person. The one guy says, yeah, the city's all messed up. It didn't really mean much to him, but Nehemiah destroyed. Why? I believe it's because God had hidden a piece of his broken heart inside of Nehemiah. And when, when, that, when that broken heart hit that, those, those stories, it affected him so drastically different than everybody else around him. A guy who had a great job, that stood in the presence of the king, that drank the best wine, ate the best food, suddenly says, I don't care if I die. I can't live with the burden that's inside of me. When God plants something in our lives, this is interesting now. He plants a piece of his broken heart inside of us. We walk around weeping about stuff that doesn't bother anybody else. It, it, it's terrible to us. It destroys us. It wakes us up early in the morning, keeps us up late at night. We fast, we pray, we get in the Word. We talk to our friends and they don't see it. We're mad at them because they don't have the broken heart that they should have like we have for what we see. God, what's wrong with the church today? God, where are the evangelists? God, where are the prophets? Where are the... No, no, no. God's given people different visions, different pieces of his heart. It's beautiful how it comes together in the body, but it's interesting how then those people broke and stand in God's presence and say, oh God, give us Fenton or I'll die. Like we've got to talk him into it when he's the one that put it in us. Listen, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Jireh is also Jehovah Sneaky. When, I don't mean any disrespect, obviously, but, but when, when God says, I'm going to give him this piece of broken heart, and we steward that. Let me tell you something. A broken heart will give you a dream, whether it's for kids, for a city, for an economy, for a nation, for a planet, for orphans, for teenagers, for people with blonde hair, for it doesn't matter. God will change you and affect you in such a way, if you allow him to, that later on people will say, oh, he's a hero. No such thing. There's no such thing as a hero. It's just someone who was given a gift that destroyed him. And in the destruction of their nice, comfortable life, God gave them a life they were supposed to live. Moses, hero? No. He was a murderer. He couldn't not help his people. <laughs> There's a guy, he started a ministry, uh, his name's Everett Swanson. 1953, he goes over to Korea for the purpose of preaching to the GIs during the Korean War. He gets there, and as he's preaching to GIs, he's going from place to place, and he keeps noticing these little babies sitting out on the road. As the days get colder, the babies are still there. Now the babies are dying of exposure. And he said, well, what's, what's going on? Isn't something going to help these babies? And no one was going to help the babies. No one stopped. And he said, well, I, can't, I can't not do something. And so he stopped one day, and he picked up a baby. How many of you guys know what happened the next time he saw a baby? He had two babies. 
And then he saw a third one. He stopped and picked up the third one. And then people in the villages started hearing there's an American who's taking children. Our children are starving to death. We have no food. We have no shelter. We have no blankets. We have nothing. And and one by one, people kept coming. And that's where a ministry called Compassion International was formed. 1.2 million children are eating meals daily, being educated daily, receiving in, in third world countries. Why? Because one man couldn't not do something about it. Feed the children. You haven't ever heard the story of Feed the Children. It's another ministry. Guys in India can exploit cheap labor in the, uh, in the factories of India. And he saw a big, long line of kids, and it's the heat of the day. And he's like, man, those kids must be waiting for a good movie. There must, there must be something going on inside that building. And he asked his, his interpreter, what are those children doing? He said, well, those children are waiting for the meal truck to arrive. They're orphans, you see, and they live in the street. And they're of a lower caste, and no one really cares about them because of their sins in previous lives. They've been reincarnated into this life in a lower caste, and they need to suffer in this life so that they can be purified through suffering so that in the next life they can be, you know, come back as another form, maybe even a cow. And the man went, what the? And as he's standing there learning about Indian culture, one one of the children falls over. And he went to his aid to find out that he fainted in the heat as he's messing around, and everybody just kind of moved around. And the child had died in line waiting for food. And it destroyed him. That was the end of his business life and the beginning of the rest of his life. God so broke that man's heart, he came back to his businessman, investor friends, his partners, and he said, I'm going to need a big check. He said, oh, you found a good factory? I didn't even find a factory, but this is what I found. I found hungry children, and we are going to feed the children. And that's where the ministry came from. And today, there's a million kids or more on this planet that will eat today because one man couldn't not do something about it. Another 1.2 million children because a man couldn't not do something about it. When we talk about your prayer life, how's your prayer life? Have you been praying enough? Well, how much is enough? Well, you should pray without ceasing, but let's start with 10 minutes a day. Have you been in the Word? How's your life in the Word? Oh, I've been spending, I read a little bit. What'd you get out of it? I'm not really sure. I didn't really listen, but I read. And that's a good start. We're exercising discipline. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not belittling those disciplines. But let me tell you what happens when you find out who you are. You'll pray because you can't not pray. Because the pain of the burden... <laughs> You say, well, Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's talking about his teachings, not our hearts. Jesus moved with compassion. Jesus wept. Jesus went from town to town feeding, helping, nurturing. I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed. I'm broken. I'm hurt because these people are like sheep without a shepherd. Don't kid yourself for a minute. If your Christianity is easy, let me question your Christianity. If all that ever Jesus did was for you and he doesn't want to do anything with you, let me question your walk with God. Maybe that's too strong, but I'm not going to be here next week, so let me just say it. <laughs> if all you ever think about is what Jesus did for you, but you never think about what Jesus wants to do for others through you, you're missing your life. Because God's called us to so much more. There's not a person in this room that shouldn't be known as a hero. It's not a person in this room, man, woman, young, old, history, irrelevant, voting, whether you root for Michigan State or Michigan, how long you've been here, how short you've been here. There's not a man or a woman in this room that shouldn't be known as a hero in the halls of faith. Every single one of you has a purpose. God told us, Ephesians 2.10, we are created to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. There's a work that has your name on it. And until you find it, you are just faking so much. And it's miserable because I've been there. I, I, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back if that's okay. Do you guys do that? Ugh, okay, the curtains then go. Yeah, let me, let me, just, let me just say this. Um, as they're coming, I'm going to start landing the plane. Is that good? They got a good time? Okay. 
I'm living by faith right on the edge, baby. Here we go. John, catch me in case I lose my balance. I'm counting on you to be a soft landing place for all of me, brother. You'll be moved with compassion, I promise you. <laughs> um, this, this understanding, um, I, I hated this. You guys can probably get this more than, more than you would have maybe 10 years ago. But anybody heard the, the thing, I left the church because I wasn't being fed? Can I get out? Show of hands. You know somebody, maybe you've done it. I left the church. I just wasn't being fed. I, I think we've misunderstood what the food of God is. What we're really saying is, you know, I, I want certain things done a certain way in a certain amount of time. I want a certain flair. I want a certain flavor. I want a certain tune. I want a certain leadership. I want a certain atmosphere. I, I, and, and we treat the church as if it's our favorite movie theater. I wonder, I wonder what pastor's preaching on this week. Oh, that? No, I've already heard a sermon on that. I think I'll just stay home. Like, like it's a dinner theater. I wonder what's being served today at church. Oh, that? No, no. I'd really rather not. And our commitment level sometimes to the house of God is lower than to the house of weights, to the house of entertainment. You don't like it. I'm going to say it anyway. The house of convenience, the house of Denmark, the house of travel, the house of, let's face it, me. And so when Jesus says, pick up your cross, die on it daily, hoorah, we kind of go, no wait, you're supposed to die for me and then I get to live my life. No, no. He dies for you and he trades you his life for yours. And it seems like, oh, that's too much. It's too hard. Let me tell you something that maybe you do or don't know. That's when life begins. You may get that or you may not. If Some of you did said right, but I'm telling you, that's when your life begins. When you can get up in the morning and say, my life no longer belongs to me. It belongs to these children. It belongs to this ministry. It belongs to this nation. It belongs to a cause greater than myself that I bleed for, that I breathe for. Let me tell you something. You live your life with a passion that people who don't know the God who created their destiny will never know. I know people that are wealthy and miserable. I know people that are poor and miserable. I know people that are talented and miserable. I know people that couldn't carry a tune in a bucket if it had a handle on it. I know, I know people that are so dumb they couldn't pour a pee out of a shoe if the directions were written on the bottom of it. I, and they're miserable. I know people that are so smart they can fathom things. They know words I don't know, and they're miserable. Let me tell you, the only thing, the only common denominator of people that are happy that I know of, they're in right relationship with God and their life means something. My life means something. I got up this morning because my life means something. I had a hard time going to sleep last night because my life means something. I see the children's faces when I close my eyes. My life means something. We close our eyes, we see 30 churches. Our lives mean something. We close our eyes and we see you in our prayers and our lives mean something. Our lives don't mean vacation. Our lives don't mean Mickey Mouse. And I've been to Disney. It's not evil. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you should be selfless in every dime. We're not, not going to make this a cult, but we need to make this a life. A life that's biblical. A life that says, I don't start living until he starts living through me. And he can't live through me until I'm out of his way. So my priorities, my dreams, my goals, I lay down my life, my plans, my rights. We sang it this morning. Sometimes I wonder, these passionate psalmists write these things, and then we kind of sing it. I lay down my rights. Here comes the offering I don't want to give. I lay down my plans. I hope it gets done soon because I want to make it to Stuckey's before all the pecan logs are gone. <laughs> right? I've sat in those pews. I've listened to other people speak. I've waited for it to transition so that it was more to my liking. 
If you're here today and you feel like you're not being fed, it's not because food isn't coming your way. John chapter 4 says this. Jesus is at this well and the Samaritan woman comes up and she is the snottiest lady in all of Samaria, which is a place filled with snotty people. She hates the rabbi and the rabbis that she's met have hated her. She's been rejected by five husbands or she's been in, she's had her heart broken so many times. It's not even calluses. It's just a big calcified stain where her heart used to be. And she runs into this guy who she could blame for all of her problems. You Jews, us Samaritans, we're, we're second-class citizens because you guys made us that way. And that was our ancestors. That's racism. That's wrong. It's hatred. And, and you're the rabbi. You're the one that teaches children to hate people like me. And now you sit at this well, tired, seeing stars, hungry. Your disciples are gone. And you ask me for a drink. You hypocrite. You're going to drink out of a vessel that's been touched by the unclean hands of a Samaritan adulteress? And Jesus is wonderfully patient. And he says, you know, if you knew who I was... You'd ask me for water. The water I give you would be living water. You'd never be thirsty again. She goes, huh. All right. Put up, sucker. He says, well, I'll, I'll give you what you asked for, but first go get your husband. Because Jesus is always dealing with roots. And she says, I have no husband. He looks straight, straight through her to her collar button and says, you know what? I know you. I know you. I know who you are. I know who you're not. I know where you've been. I know where you haven't. I know what you've done. As your creator... I've seen everything you've ever done, every thought you thought was private, heard every word whispered to a friend you thought would never come back to haunt you. I've heard it, I've seen it, I've known it all, every bit of it. And I want to get to the roots of your pain. I want to get the roots of your sin. I want to get down to the bottom of it once and for all. And he says this. You're going through a hard time. You've had five husbands. You're shacking up the bubba right now, and it's got to end. Uh, she goes, I, I perceive you're a prophet. And he says, <laughs> yeah. And she has this, this, she starts throwing scripture out. Well, you Jews say you worship here. Us Samaritans, da, 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 da. Well, when Messiah comes, he's going to, da, 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 da. And finally, I don't know else how rare this is, but she says when Messiah comes, he's going to tell us everything. And Jesus does something to my knowledge he never did any other place in scripture. He was charged by the high priest once to say who he was by the living God. And being a fully man under the authority of the high priest, he spoke the truth. But this is the only time Jesus that I'm aware of voluntarily tells somebody who he is. Everybody else has to guess. Demons say, you're the son of the living God. You're the and he says, shut up! And they leave. But to this woman, she says, well, Messiah comes. And he says, sweetie, ta-da. She runs back into the city. Her disciples come back. And this is the exchange. Please hear me. I'll close with this. More or less. Probably. <laughs> Shortly. When the disciples come back, they say, oh, gee, here comes all Samaria. And they got that look in their eye. We're going to be here for days. We're going to be able to eat. We're not going to be able to sit down and sleep. We're, we, you know, we stopped here because we were exhausted. And they, and they start, they start pleading, Master, come on, you've got to eat something. Because we know what happens next. They come out, oh, i got a hitch in my, you know, my arm's supposed to go like, well, it goes like this now. And, and I see my kid, and he's demon-possessed, and this blind, and this deaf. And here they come from every master. We know what happens next. You better grab at least a six-inch Subway sandwich before everything hits. And this is what Jesus says to him. Hear me now. He says, I have food. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know anything about it. I have something that wakes me up in the morning. And I have something that satisfies me and strengthens me. I have something that charges my batteries. I have something that when I'm empty, it makes me fall over again. I have, I have a purpose. 
I have a compassion. I have a broken heart. You say, well, Jesus was a hero. Jesus was not a hero. Jesus was just a man like you and I who couldn't not do something about what he saw. And he envisioned a tomorrow different from the day. And when he saw God's work being done, he stopped in the middle of that and he said, you sandwich? I don't want a sandwich. I'm full. I'm satisfied. I'm content. I'm blessed. I won't stop to eat because I'm seeing his hands working and I'm seeing his feet moving and I'm hearing his voice and they're getting it. And this is why I was born. Say, well, lucky Jesus. No, no, lucky you. Because the very opportunity that Jesus exercises, the very opportunity every man, woman, and child in this room has. You were born for such a time as this. You may not know what your role is in this church. You may not know what your role is outside of this church in the world. But I promise you this, if you'll look for it, God will show it to you. If you beg God for a broken heart, he'll bless you with weeping. I thought, I thought all blessings were laughter, Jim. No, no. I thought all blessings were joy. There's a joy that most of you know nothing about, and that is the joy of seeing his kingdom come in somebody's life for whom you've labored, for whom you've prayed, for whom you've wept, for whom your heart's been broken for. And now it's not broken anymore because Jesus has come into their life and they're done, man. Their old life is over with and their new life has begun. And I don't need to go to Denny's. I am Denny's. I have a drive through window for the love of God. I can't not preach the gospel. I can't not announce the good news of the kingdom. I can't not dream of you getting a dream. There's a thousand ministries that have yet to be birthed out of this church. And they're inside of somebody in this room. There's nations that haven't heard the gospel. And just maybe God would bless us with weeping and tears. Maybe, just maybe God would break our hearts for people we've never met before. But when we close our eyes, we can't help but see them. And when we pray over our food, we can't help but think about their hunger. And when we think about what they're living in today, we can't help but want to find ways to get shoes and socks and clothes. And when we think about what our youth are going through, right here in this room, just just six months ago, we did a school assembly because our youth and our community are dying of heroin overdoses. Two in the last two weeks. Our young people. God, break somebody's heart. For our kids, God, break somebody's heart for their parents. God, break somebody's heart for a world that just doesn't know how to live yet, just doesn't know how to eat yet, just doesn't know where the good stuff's at. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you break somebody's heart, that you'd lead someone to a brokenness and not to a blessing because the blessing is in the brokenness. The prayer is in the brokenness. The, the word is in the brokenness. The gifts are in the brokenness. How can we heal the sick if we don't embrace first with the compassion, the pain that they live in? How can we bring wholeness to those when it's just our glory we seek? How can we reach out across denial to someone who's not like us unless first they see love in our eyes and a brokenness in our hearts that tells them we've been sent by God with good news? Until the demons know our names, God break our hearts. Until the nations cry out in worship, break our hearts. Until every child is safe and sheltered and fed and loved, break our hearts. Not every call is going to be like every call. If you've got a burden, don't make the mistake of making other people feel guilty for what you're broken with. 
Let me just say that to you. You may have a particular call, but everybody's call isn't everybody's call. Everybody's burden isn't everybody's burden. But if you will dream big dreams in relation to your burden, can I tell you what's going to happen? God's going to send dreamers to walk up beside you. God's going to send the resource. God's going to send the giftedness. God's going to send the labors. God's going to send those who dream big dreams. If your dream is just to make it tomorrow, you'll be there all alone. But if your dream is to shake the world, if your dream is to reach every young person that meets in this auditorium and mocks God and does drugs and breaks the heart of their parents, if, you're, if you can't not do something about it, then you're supposed to do something about it. And someday they'll say, that one's a hero. But you and I will both know you're not a hero. You're just a steward of a broken piece of God's heart. And you couldn't not do something. Father, break our hearts. Tell us to look at the fields and see that they're ripe unto harvest. Someone's got to do something about marriages. Somebody's got to do something about pornography. Somebody's got to do something uh, about people that don't know how to work outside of a factory that's not open anymore. Somebody's got to do something about people that are chronically ill. Somebody's got to do something that, that is compassionate towards those that are hurting. Someone's got to reach out to the homosexual. Someone's got to love the transvestite. Somebody's got to have a heart broken for people that repulse normal people. Somebody's got to look at a goth kid and say, hug me instead of get away from me and my family. Somebody's got to look into the fields deep enough, long enough, strong enough until they see that God's heart is broken and then say, God, don't give me just your heart of joy, but give me your heart of weeping. My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of the Father and to complete his work. Church, his work is not complete but it has begun. It has begun. It has begun. And you're invited. It has begun. It has. It started. It's happening right now. It's moving right now. People are moving, not out of obligation because of a, a space that needs to be filled, but out of a brokenness for a heaven that needs to be filled and spilled. Would you just close your eyes right now in this auditorium? Would you just do what really seems maybe contrary to the Christianity that, that is taught on TV sometimes? And without criticism, I don't, I don't mean to accuse the bride of Christ. Let me just say this. If this is unfamiliar to you, trust me, Jesus wept. It's appropriate that we do too. Jesus, you know, led people in his long seasons of agonizing intercession. It's, it's right that we should do so too, but not as a discipline primarily, but as an obligation to a broken heart. We can't not pray all night. We can't not show up early. We can't not be the last one out. We can't not play with excellence our instrument and avoid. We can't not exercise the right to stand as a 10 before a holy God because of what he's done and echo his grace through the planet, through its people, through its nations, through its schools, through its factories, through its colleges, campuses, through, through, through if you're waiting for me to, to, to mention that one thing that, that maybe you're saying, God, if this is you, then confirm it to me. I, I, don't, I can't say everything, but I'll say this. Maybe God just confirmed it to you. That you're supposed to do something about it. You're supposed to go. You're supposed to speak. You're supposed to give. You're supposed to leave. You're supposed to come. You're supposed to, you're supposed to. And when you do it with passion, you'll understand what Jesus said that day as he sat exhausted on the side of a well, still hadn't had a drink of water, still thirsty, still hungry. But he said, I have so much food. I am so blessed because I'm seeing his kingdom come into that woman's life who thought she was beyond being loved and now she believes in love. And she is my key evangelist <laughs> to a city that thinks I hate them. 
but I've come to heal them and to restore them and to love them and teach them to worship in the spirit and in truth. Come to right the wrongs. Jesus was a dreamer. He was the dreamer of dreamers and his children dream as well. With your eyes closed, can you envision a tomorrow different from today? I was like, yeah, I want to lose 10 pounds. You need to go deeper. Yeah, I need to get out of debt. You need to go deeper. If it's, yeah, I hope I get a new car. I hope Christmas. No, no, you need to go deeper. Not to what you get to you, but what you get through you. Can you close your eyes and for a moment see someone else's face and let that just destroy you like they were your child, like they were your mother, like they were your brother? Can you just allow the Holy Spirit to move in with it? Can he entrust you today, church, as an individual, as a couple, as a congregation? Can he entrust you today with a piece of his broken heart? Because if he can, I believe he will. And that's when ministries become great. And that's when, quote, unquote, heroes... <laughs> are born. And that's when nations shake and tremble. Heidi and Roland Baker, they're not heroes. They can't not do something for the poor. It's unthinkable to come back and live a middle-class life. It's unthinkable. It's not, it's not where they live. It's not who they are. Bill Johnson, I dare you to tell him to shut up. He can't not speak of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Joyce Myers, tell her to be quiet. I'll step back three paces because she's going to slap you in the head. Big old earrings knocking you up both sides of the head. and Right? Dave will have to pull her off of you. You tell her to be quiet. Those that we call great are no different than you and I. They just found themselves. They're just broken. They have great prayer lives, not because they're more disciplined than you and I, but because they can't not pray. If you're getting tired in your ministry, if you're getting exhausted, if you're getting burned out, if you haven't even begun, it's the same altar call. It's the same place. I'm not asking you to get right with God. I'm asking you to stand with him in this world as light and as salt. Today, all over this room, if you're here and you say, Jim, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Or you say, I do what I'm doing, but I'm getting tired. Or you say something just really basic, like I just want someone to lay their hands on me and pray. I'm going to ask my wife to come up, Pastor Pat and Pastor Teresa. If you're here today and you say, I want this, I don't have it yet. See, sometimes we say, God, give me the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this. Why do you even need it? Is that a fair question? Give me, give me the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Why do you need it? What do you need that requires power beyond you? What do you need that requires more than you in it? So often what we need is just a lack so we can ask for his abundance. Would you stand your feet all over this room? Sister babe, come on up here. Say today, I just want someone with a burden, with a call, with a vision. I want someone to lay their hands on me, on my children, on my youth, on whatever it is. We just want to take a season, just a season right now, and pray for you. The worship team's going to go. You guys all right? Okay, when I say go, if you want prayer, you need salvation, you need healing, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you need a burden from God, you need to know who you are, you don't know who you are yet, I want you to walk right down here. You ready? On your mark, get set, go. Move out right now from where you are. Anybody. Everybody, somebody, nobody. Doesn't matter to me. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. If you're not coming down, stand where you are. And for the next 10 minutes, would you invest all of your attention on what you believe God wants to do in their lives? Will you combine your faith in such a way that God's going to touch them? Listen, let me tell you something. Jesus had a dozen people that saw the invisible and believed the impossible. Because of that, you're here today 2,000 years later. There's about a dozen people standing here right now. How many of you guys believe God can do this again? And he wants to do it again, and he will do it again. 
Let's pray. Right where you are, pray. Just name. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. We were just over there praying. Let me just say this to you, church on the street. Jesus blessed bread that fed multitudes, but there's something we miss sometimes. It just This was a beautiful picture. The same blessing that Jesus prayed over the bread that fed the thousands, he didn't just pray it that we'd be blessed, but he blessed it, and in his hands it was broken. Blessed bread will feed a handful of people, but broken bread is what's required to feed the multitudes. If you're here right now at this altar, I just pray, Father, whatever it was that Jesus prayed over that bread, we prayed over those standing at the altar right now. Whatever that was, Baruch Hashem, Adonai, Eloheinu, they just, they began, oh God, blessed are you, O Lord our God, he who gives the bread and the, and the cup of wine. God, I pray right now, whatever it was you prayed over those, that, that, those loaves, those fish, whatever it was you prayed, that they were not just blessed, they weren't just purified, they weren't just sanctified, but in their breaking, they became nutrition for thousands. And there were baskets left over. God, I pray in Jesus' name. Come on, church, pray with me. In Jesus' name, we cry out for the fire of the Holy Spirit that you would not just bless them, but you'd break them. Blessed bread will feed a handful of people, and they've known this. We've known this. But God, a a multitude must be fed with that which is blessed and broken. Come on, cry out right now in your spiritual language if you have it. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless. Send your fire. Send your fire. Send your fire. Send your fire, oh God. Send a compassion. Send a brokenness, God. Bless and break. Bless and break. Bless and break. Bless and break. Blessed and break. Bless and break. Come on, there's an army. There's an army. Yes, God. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Tops of their head to the bottom of their feet. a liar. The devil's a liar. The devil's a liar. The devil's a liar. The devil's a liar, church. Come on. You're going to break every chain. Your blood has broken every chain. Not a four. Not a six. Not an eight. Not a nine. You're not on probation. This is legal for you to ask for. In the name of Jesus. And there is power. Come on, sing it out loud, church, to break every chain. Sing to break every chain. To break every chain.
Take us beyond duty, God. Take us beyond duty, beyond obligation, beyond self-discipline, God. Yes, God. Break every chain. Thank you, God. 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 I, I got one last thing. If you're here today and you're saying, this is nice for everybody else, but it doesn't apply to me because of where I've been and what I've done, let me say this to you. Moses was a murderer. <laughs> Abraham slept with his wife's chambermaid. Jesus was, to men's eyes, fatherless. And the one thing that they all have in common, Nehemiah the conquered, Jeremiah the weeper, but the one thing they all have in common is this, hear me, their disqualification when ministry came became their greatest qualification. If you're here and you're like, man, I'd love to do this, Jim, but I'm disqualified. Your inability really is the road that his ability needs to travel down anyway. So congratulations. Your disqualification is probably your best qualification. Where you've been wounded and healed, God will use you to heal others that are wounded. The God of all compassion who comforts us in all of our afflictions. Why? So that we can comfort others with the same comfort that we've received. If you've been through, I know the scarlet letter, you've been labeled, you've done the wrong, you've done the bad, you've done the, and you're guilty of sin itself, all right? But now Jesus has dealt with a sin, and now he wants to take your misery, and with it he often births your ministry. Your mess becomes your message. Your worst becomes evidence of his best. People that are always good and have always done good and have no past, I'm not saying that's bad. That's wonderful. It's a great testimony. I pray my children have that testimony. But you understand out of brokenness, healing comes. And out of hurt, compassion can grow. Out of, out of sickness, health is, is understood. If you're here today and you're like, I would, but I can't, never let men tell you who you are. Men will so often quote Satan. They don't mean to, but they'll, they'll reinforce your fears, your insecurities. What has God said to you? If I understand it right, he said, everything you were, you're not anymore, and everything I am, you shall become. You are in Christ. We're seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ. Beat that. Great old statement. If you're young, you've never heard it. But when the devil comes and reminds you of your past, you just remind him of his future and he'll take off. You are set free by the blood of Jesus. Yeah. I love that, Pastor Pat. You knew that I looked around. You knew that I was done and you knew what to do next. That's cool. That's the pastoral anointing. Just continue to pray, guys. Pastor Pat's going to take it. God bless you. Anybody get anything today? Show me your hand. You've got something today. All right. Let me tell you what. Don't leave it alone. Don't keep it a secret. I have a dream, but I don't want to talk about it. doesn't work. I have a dream. I'm going to begin to talk about it. And as you speak, sometimes what you actually end up doing, you begin to prophesy your destiny, not even knowing you're prophesying. I just, I had this vision of a kid. I had this vision of a woman. I had this vision of taking my misery and maybe helping other people that have been through my misery. Start talking about it. If you have a dream, stand up on the Lincoln Memorial steps where there's a million people or nobody and begin to speak like he did. I have a dream. God's given me a broken heart for the nations, for an individual, for anything. God bless you. Church on the street, I like you. Stay right here, please. Would you just, if you're comfortable, extend your hands this way.
No wonder I got saved, man. Come on. How am I going to ask you if you're blessed? I know you are. Father, thank you for this awesome couple of God. And we just declare more, more, more in their lives, in their ministry. You're the infinite God. There's more power. There's more revelation. There's more spirit of wisdom in the revelation. And knowing you, Lord, we pray for their person that they would know you more. We pray for the ministry, that the good works that you've prepared for them to do before the foundations of this world, Lord, that each and every one gets done, and it's glorious. Lord, we pray for the the man who lays awake at night, worried about people he doesn't even know, Lord, for souls. We say that if it's been 10,000 or 15,000, I know at least one, two, three, four that have come to know you, five In my family alone, Lord, we just pray for thousands more, thousands more, thousands more. We pray that not only will they be converts, that they'll be disciples, that they'll they'll just come to know you, that they'll be transformed, Lord, and that you'll continue to do such a good work. We just bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. And we thank them. Amen. All right. Well, hey, you guys have a great Sunday. I can tell you for sure that the Baptists and the Methodists are sitting in your chair at the restaurant, but that's okay. They eat quickly. God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome week. Bye-bye.